0: Everyone knows the story of Joan of Arc, the patron saint of France, the heroine burnt at the stake for her valour and faith. Less well-known is the tale of her companion-in-arms, Gilles Deray, whom history has painted as less heroic. His macabre legacy was born in the dungeons of his castle where the heat of torturous fires was accompanied by the sounds of chains and the screams of children. But did any of it really happen? Was he a mass murderer or a victim of his wealth and military success? Those secrets are buried under stone and ash and legend. And we may never know for sure. Welcome to another episode of Blind History. As always, I am here with Anthony Medera. We are looking at, oh man, another crazy crackpot, potentially serial killer nutcase. This is one of those people who I think, you know, everybody loves the bad guys. That's Those are the episodes that get the downloads, right?
1: Yeah, 100%. I was very
0: excited. I was so looking forward to doing this. Yeah, you suggested this guy. I must tell you, I didn't really know a whole lot about him. His name is Gilles Deray. He was born in around... Fourteen oh five. Yeah, correct. Fifteenth century. He lived about forty years, maybe even a little bit less. He was in his thirties, I think, when he died. But he's probably best known to historians as having been a companion of Joan of Arc. Yes, during the fight against the English to get them out during the Hundred Years' War in France. But to criminologists and to forensics experts, he's probably one of the first medieval serial killers.
1: Yes, because if we talk about um, Gilles de Ray, you could be talking about a war hero. It's well documented. Yeah, of uh, he was fearless, brave. He was the, to such an extent that uh, the dauphin at the time, and who later on became King, Chal- King Charles, King Charles VII, Charles, yeah, uh, and to protect Joan of Arc. And, um, and- well, he was also made
0: Marshal of France, which was the, the highest rank in the military in France. So he was entrusted with
1: basically yes. running the whole French army and we could we could have done an episode on on this war hero which he was probably one of the richest uh, people in Europe at the time oh yeah especially early on in his military career and with his marriage and so it could be about that but actually the story's not about that there's a lot more there's a lot more so let's start
0: off right in the beginning he grew up with his maternal grandfather kind of taking a large powerful role in his in his younger years and tutoring him essentially in War in managing money, managing his estates, and all the rest of it. And he married uh, quite young, and made most of his money just through that marriage. Mm. I mean, this is this is what used to happen to people: is that as soon as you kind of found someone who was a rich heiress, and the same thing happened with King Henry the Second, famously when he married Eleanor of Aquitaine. Uh, you you end up with a huge fortune because your wife brings it in as a dowry, yeah. which is a great way to go. I wish we could do that today. <laughs> you know, I wish there were more women running around at <laughs> dowries. I mean, they're yeah, a lot easier. But um, his uncle, his maternal grandfather rather, was called Jean de Caen, and uh, he was a bit of a schemer, this mm. guy. He arranged this uh, this marriage for him and tried also to arrange two other marriages before that to two other girls. But he eventually got married to a woman called Catherine de Troyes, who was of, of, of Brittany. She was actually the heiress of two families. And, um, that was where his fortune came
1: from. Yeah. And I think he ended up with seven castles, massive amounts of money. Yeah. But prior to that, and I, I think criminologists looked at it quite heavily was, was, uh, he, he lost both his parents at the age of 10. Mm. So that more than likely knocked him. He could have seen his dad die in a hunting accident. It's, it's, it's not 100%. Uh, fact but uh he could have been with his dad when he died you another know? way we apply modern psychology
0: to these people in the middle ages i mean these guys just lived these very violent lives 100 yeah, percent. and it didn't matter whether you were a man or a woman whether you were rich or poor there was a huge amount of violence mm, in medieval europe and i think everybody must have had ptsd everybody must have been traumatized by just about everything that happened in their lives so when these guys look back on you know what could it have been that Made this guy so, uh, bizarre towards mm. the end of his life. They, they try to find these clues, but actually everybody's lives were pretty hard.
1: And I mean, the unknowns was real. You know, they really believed that, that, um, if they, if they gave child's limbs to demons, that they could earn a bit more money. So, <laughs> so it might have been as simple as that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's not get there too
0: quickly. So obviously now he's married. He's rich. He's got all these castles and he decides to embark on a military career. And this is really where he made his name um, because he got together with Joan of Arc and from about 1427 until about 1435, he was the commander of the French army and he, he managed to repel the English. They successfully reclaimed large swathes of France from the English. This was probably the height of French military success during the Hundred Years' War. And it wasn't just England, it was the Burgundians as well. And he was eventually appointed Marshal of France. But then things started to go horribly wrong. Joan of Arc obviously was captured by the English. She was burnt at the stake, called a witch. We've covered her in a previous episode. Very unfair, kind of uh, not particularly honest, decent way to treat Joan of no. Arc, and although she may have been manipulative, everyone seems to have manipulated this king. Yeah, he, oh,
1: but the king was, this king he was useless. Weak. Uh, it weak. was so weak, and I think that in the end, he just, you know, she, she did everything and anything to get him, uh, you know, to put him back on the throne, so to speak. Yeah. Because at the time, and we've covered it as well, it's extremely interesting time, uh, in, in history, the Hundred Years War, we've, in the beginning of that was, was Edward III, and mm-hmm. um, we had Henry V, some of the greatest warrior kings um, yeah. known known to Absolutely. the world. And he just stood by and just let justice or whatever he wanted to call it take its course, and she was burnt. And interestingly enough, uh, Gilles could have been in love with Joan hmm. of Arc and he was really, okay, traumatized. We say that word again, but he was traumatized when she was burnt, oh, burnt at the stake. Absolutely. I mean, it could, you know, it could have been him. First of
0: all, he, he was aware of that. But second of all, the whole way she was betrayed by the Burgundians and the English, mm. the way she was tried in this kind of kangaroo court, it just didn't make any sense. And, and looking back now, it was probably the most unjust thing mm. that happened during those hundred years war. Of course, Charles the seventh, which we discussed already weakling, but. Charles the seventh was very dependent on Gilles Le Ray. I think a lot of people in France were at that point, they were desperate for a hero. And since Joan had gone, he was the next
1: best thing. Yes, a hundred percent. But, and, 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 and he, he, true to form, he performed. I mean, he was, he, he, he basically effectively ended the hundred year war mm. through, through running the military. And yes, he made a lot of money out of it, but in the meantime already, there were things going on behind the scenes that came out later that, um, you know, we're not sure. There's um different sides to the story. Some people say it happened over one year. Some people say it protracted over eight years, hmm. what he did to, to young boys and young childrens. Now, this children. already
0: sounds uh, like a, a probably a really bad direction for anyone to go to. But he started to withdraw from military and public life, and he established a chapel called – the Chapel of the Holy Innocents. Now, this is based on a story from the Bible where Herod went around slaying all the eldest children of many of, the, of his own subjects, King Herod of, of then, uh, what was Judea. And the reason he did this was because he knew there was this prophecy about the Messiah who would come and become king of the Jews. And he was terrified that this would displace him. And in some way, this became a part of the story of this Chapel of the Holy Innocents. And he actually he designed his own robes. He built this little church. It was very strange. It sounds a bit culty. And he produced all these theatrical spectacles. Mm. Now, what we have to remember about the Middle Ages too is that if you were an actor or a singer – that was considered a beneath a nobleman. It was considered a, you know, actors and, and singers were like prostitutes. Yeah. They, they weren't considered part of acceptable society. They were there to entertain people, but nobody really took mm-hmm. them seriously. And here's this guy who would cast himself in these things. He would put on these enormous productions and he would spend huge amounts of money, his own money, putting these incredible productions together. And then he'd give people free food. So that all the poor people in the whole of France would come to see these productions, and then he'd say it was a huge success. And it
1: cost an absolute fortune. Yep, totally. So that was just one of his poor investments, amongst other things. I mean, he just was he spent off the charts. Mm. And I think this is also uh, somewhere where a lot of his troubles came from. But the play or whatever he put on was Joan of Arc and the uh, uh, Battle of Orleans, yeah. or the Siege of Orleans, as, as, as yeah. they called it. So it was still very much around – Joan of Arc, and there was also something about the cathedral that that's like a shrine to her in some way. Well,
0: here's an interesting thing that that people might not know about: the 600 costumes were constructed for the one play that was performed on the eighth of May, 1435. Six hundred costumes, and they were worn once, and they were thrown away, and then they were made again for every subsequent performance. So you can see that the wastage here is just unbelievable unlimited supplies of food and drink were made available to spectators all at his expense he's like ah, yeah. let's just throw some money at
1: this now Crazy. the family got really nervous mm. and initially Even the pope got <clears throat> nervous well they approached the pope and the pope said well, it's got nothing to do with me sort your own shit out haven't you got a king so <laughs> so then they went to the king yeah. and then the king cut you know stopped everything so he was, he was cut out. He could, because he was mortgaging everything. So basically he became like, um, you know, when you get a bad credit
0: score these days, mm. no one can do business with you. Yeah. You are declared a, what was Dudu Miani uh, here in South Africa, the, the former chairperson uh. of SAA, she's the, a delinquent director. Yeah. So you're not allowed to run any companies, do any deals. No one's allowed to contract with you. You're basically cut out of the financial system. And they did this. Perhaps to
1: manipulate him because he was mm. wasting all this money or, or maybe there were more nefarious was, things going on. More than likely, there was deeper meaning to it. But ultimately, in the end, I mean, he he needed to come up with some money. So where is he going to earn money? And and at the time, alchemy, mm-hmm. turning base metals into gold right, seemed like a plan. Uh That was the one thing. And then also chatting to the odd demon um, – <laughs> to
0: assist as well. Okay, so this is the stuff that obviously with the benefit of hindsight now we can say, well, there's probably a lot of nonsense going on here. Mm. Because what they did is, I mean, alchemy was this, it was the proto-chemistry. People really didn't understand what stuff was made of. There was this idea of a philosopher's stone and you could take any of the other metals and turn them into gold if you discovered the philosopher's stone. And if you played around with chemicals, which was still very mysterious and people didn't know the difference between alchemy, or chemistry in its infancy, and witchcraft. So it was easy to say, oh, well, this guy's blowing things up. There's all kinds of weird stuff going on in his laboratory. This must be – he must be summoning demons. Mm. That noise couldn't have come from anything else, right? So now we look at it and poor peasants running around Mm. in the fields outside his castle. Oh, my lord, don't beat me. Suddenly they listen and they hear these sounds coming from his laboratory, and they think he's definitely – Conversing with demons. Yeah, or maybe he was just bubbling something in a, maybe in a. he was just,
1: yeah, blowing something up. Yeah, 100%. Making what kids would do with a chlorine bomb. What he did admit to in the end of his trial was that he owned a book on alchemy. Right, that's all he admitted. Yeah, that's to. It all he admitted to. So, possibly everything else you hear from here on was made
0: up post his story mm. by people who didn't like him. Yeah. And remember, he was a target because he. Terrifically famous, very successful, had a great military career, saved France effectively and had lots and lots of money and people didn't like him. Mm. There were lots of people who were very jealous of that, including possibly King Charles the seventh, certainly the Duke of Brittany. And he was and the religious houses and the religious there. houses. So what they did is he, went, he obviously was, was talking to people also who were interested in alchemy and all of this stuff and. Naturally, he then gathered a, around him a bunch of people who were probably a little bit weird and dodgy. You know, these were these were, weren't scientists; mm-hmm. they were mostly religious fanatics.
1: Sorcerers, and, as they called them. And the as fact that he had them.
0: his own little chapel—all of this—made people nervous about his religious intentions. And apparently, um, they tried to manifest demons. Now, this is what people wrote after the fact. But he grew frustrated because the demon wasn't doing what he needed it to do, mm. all in inverted commas. So apparently, in order to get the demon to do what he needed it to do, they needed to offer him, the demon, body parts of a child. Mm. This is what people wrote. So Ray then eventually went off and uh, provided these in a glass vessel. Nobody said where it came from. Um, and the experiments continued, but obviously there was no result because now we know that this is probably nonsense. Yeah. But he did admit that he had committed assaults on children between spring 1432 and 1433. And that was enough to yeah. kind of seal his fate.
1: Yeah, but if, it, if they talk about the numbers they were talking about then, that would have been one person a day. But it was over 300. Listen. Was, so there was a lot of stories going around of how many, etc. But the method and what modus operandi he employed, it was the monks. Who thought that up? So oh. you must know what type of mind the monks had to come up with all of that stuff he supposedly did. So,
0: I mean, what, what were these tactics? Because people like the grisly, gory shit.
1: So first of all, he'd bring them in. He'd dress them up in, in the finest clothes, given a lavish meal, given wine, which had a sugar in it, which uh-huh. was supposed to pep them up a bit. Uh-huh. And then he would take them upstairs. And then he would tell them. What he was going to do to them. And then he would love seeing the shocked look in their eyes. The fear. The fear. So that was initially what he did. And then he would hang them up. And so they were just hanging in front of him. He would masturbate in front of them. That's why I'm saying somebody made the story up. So it couldn't be, I mean, who wrote this? Well, considering the
0: history of the Catholic church, is it so difficult to draw a link between a bunch of very strange monks? And we know that there are still priests like this today. I'm certainly not saying this is the case for all of them, but we know that there's a lot of dodgy stuff that the Catholic Church has covered up over the years. Imagine these years when nobody kept records of this stuff. It was just a bunch of peasant kids. Nobody really cares. The monks were probably masturbating. Well, this is it. They may have just projected all of their stuff onto
1: Gilles de Ray because then they could uh, swage their own guilt. Yeah, But then he would bludgeon them to death, and then he would cut off the best limbs. Sometimes
0: he'd decapitate them. Sometimes he would... Listen to this. I mean, there's a there's an actual supposed witness testimony that he would um, either kill the child himself or have the child killed by his cousin. The victims were sometimes killed by decapitation. Um, sometimes he would beat them with a stick. Other times they would have their throats slashed. And he would infinitely take more pleasure in debauching himself than them. In his own confession, he testified that when the said children were dead, he kissed them, as you've just pointed out, and those who had the most handsome limbs and heads he held up to admire, and their bodies cruelly cut open and took delight at the sight of their inner organs. Yeah. I mean, this is some sick stuff. So, yeah. either there are really twisted people who wrote the history of Gilles Ray or he was mm. a total nutcase and, and they said they psychopath.
1: Found, they said they found 40 bodies, but then I also said they didn't find anybody's actually. Mm. So it's difficult to, to know exactly. But interestingly enough, near the very end, one of the documented victims was, was a apprentice from a furrer. I think it's in the region of race mm-hmm. And he asked if they can use the apprentice as a, as a messenger for him to take a, a note somewhere. So first of all, the, the, the question that Maybe we should ask is, can he get his own couriers? <laughs> Why does he have to use some poor furious courier to, so that is really yeah. strange. But then they, then they started investigating more and more. And then, you know, he didn't really give a shit because he kidnapped a cleric at that time. And then then now the bishop started looking into this. And I think that's when it sort of it unraveled. And, and I think literally a year later he was burnt. So yeah, they eventually, they sentenced him, and obviously that was the end
0: of him. He was not going to come back from this easily, despite having saved France. They executed him by hanging him and then burning him. Um, He and his two accomplices proceeded to the place of execution. They are said to have addressed the crowd with contrite piety and and begged for salvation. His request to be the first to die had been granted the day before at 11 o'clock, the brush at the platform was set afire, just like had happened to poor old Joan of Arc, mm. and Reyes was hanged. His body was cut down before being consumed by the flames and claimed by four ladies of high rank for burial. And that was the end of him.
1: But interestingly enough, there was a child's folklore fable of Bluebeard. Uh-huh. Bluebeard was loosely based on him, although the Bluebeard in the story of the fable is, is around him killing his wives. And apparently now Bluebeard is shorthand for serial killer, which is something Hmm. I didn't know. Well, they actually did a mock trial in
0: 1992 where they pretended that they were back in the 1400s and they staged, with all the evidence they could gather, a devil's advocate situation where they had two panels of experts debate whether or not he was actually guilty of these crimes. And apparently... They put this ad hoc court together, and a team of lawyers, writers, French ministers, parliament members, etc, all got together and they decided he was not guilty um, based on all the evidence they could gather from the time.
1: Yeah, so then the, the de Ray war hero and the first major serial killer or not. Yeah, uh, and,
0: and yeah, you know, like a lot of people in the French medieval period, there there were some people who were extremely violent, extremely dangerous, but the legends always end up being more mm. impressive than the real stories. In, yeah. in in so many of these cases. Either way, if you wanted a bad guy and you believe all of the stuff that came out of this, then he's top of the list. He's right there. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable! What a story. thanks for listening to this episode of blind history every episode is available on the cliff central app cliffcentral.com or wherever you get your podcasts in the next episode famously he also had all these rock inscriptions made which kind of told the story of his reign and of buddhism and of why it all mattered and what philosophies he embodied most people couldn't read in India, so the priestly class or the warrior class would have to read these things to people and that won a lot of people over.